0: The Accidental Wizard, Part 5, 2nd of March. I'm driving through Turnham Green in Chiswick, London. I'm thinking as I drive about how many other people there are out there like me. How many aliens, spawn of the devil, prophets, sons and daughters of God and angels are currently walking the earth. Taking it as fact for a moment that I'm not a normal human. Who else is there? How many of them live in Chiswick? Then I see an Afro-Caribbean man in a sheepherder's duster down to his ankles riding a bike. He's a matching hat on. He's dressed for really bad weather, but the sun is shining and it's quite a nice day. And he has a walking stick strapped to the parcel carrier on the back. Not any ordinary stick. It's my staff. My staff. I draw level with him and swoosh the passenger window down. So he turns as he cycles and sees my face looking at him from the driver's seat. I'm in a black SUV with blacked-out windows. Every shaman has one, don't you know? And I ask him if the stick's for sale. Yes, he says. Can I buy it? Yes, he says again, quite serenely. I could swear he's cycling in slow motion... As he seems to be moving much faster than his legs would suggest, we pull over. He tells me the history of the my stick. It's Kenyan baobab wood. Okay, I'm liking this lot already. It has a warrior's proud face carved in the handle, and a triangular bit on the top, almost like the Egyptian ankh of Horus. I suddenly have a vision of striking the staff on flagstones and a blue shockwave shooting out around the world. The flagstones are in the tour. I don't care how much he wants, I'll pay it. I have a load of cash in the cars, I'm planning to pay a bill, so bring it on. £300, it's got to be. I know it's going to be a lot. You have to be you have to be prepared to pay for something if it's worth the price. How much, I ask, cutting to the chase. I'm very goal-oriented, like that. He opens his mouth to speak, then smiles at me, Funny way and changes the subject. Oh, come on, let's do a deal. 20 pounds, he says. Aha! Bargain! What was I saying about love is free? The angels are laughing. They do have a sense of humour, they really do, and they're laughing now. I take my staff and run my hand down its familiar feeling smooth brown length. All right, all right, steady. It's not that kind of book, sorry. Another piece in the puzzle just came together. The man in the coat was real, by the way. He gave me his mobile number and I called it the next day just to see if he answered, and he did. So the question is, do angels have mobiles? Or was he just a bloke flogging curios? You decide. 9th March I'm going to Glastonbury again. I have my staff and I sort of want to try it out. Today's date feels right for some reason. It's going to be cold up on the tour. I've decided to try going up there in the dark, on my own. I'm scared already. I've also visited Shagford, yes that is actually a place, on Exmoor this trip, only because I like the sound of the Shagford Triangle, which the guys on the Nick Knowles DIY SOS TV show called it. They're from Shagford themselves. I have dinner on my own in the pub hotel sort of thing next to the graveyard in shagford and drink a whole bottle of wine to celebrate my loneliness and just general idiocy the hotel is suitably enough called the globe get it globe orb and mind. my trifield meter which i use to measure electromagnetic fields microwaves and electrical shows the emf in the pub is off the scale This is sometimes caused by cookers, or microwaves, or TVs, if you hold it like two inches from them. And it's consistent throughout, off the scale. Something is creating an EMF, which shouldn't be there. This usually means there's an entity or something attached to the property, as I've discovered. I stumble over to the graveyard, half-pissed, and hang around taking pictures. I feel quite at home amongst dead people. They like me and I like them. All good. Then I take a picture of some headstones and a bunch or two of daffodils. As a scientific control, I take another one of the same frame and the image is full of what looks like smoke. My first thought is, it's my breath and it might have misted up and caused it. So I try breathing out and photographing it. Nothing, it's, it's too warm and dry. I think I just photographed what the Victorians used to quaintly call ectoplasm. Next morning, the Trifield meter doesn't register anything. Same hotel, same lights and cookers on. Odd. I visit Dartmoor Prison and manage to fall down a drain and bash my face. Back in Glastonbury, I use every excuse I can to put off getting back in the car and driving up to the tour, which I can just about make out in the darkness as it's faintly illuminated by the moon and looks rather beautiful. I stop by Chalice Wells at the base of the mound which the tour is built on to fill up a bottle of its iron-rich water from the well. It's been there for a million years and filters water through the sandstone. It's supposed to be good for you and have magic properties. The wind is blowing hard when I reach the Tor, and it feels like a different climate to the one at ground level. The wind howls through the open arches of the Tor. Are you there, Michael? I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do, and there's no one to ask apart from the angels, so I ask them what to do. I find myself striking the staff on the flagstones. Ooh, that feels good. Scary, but good. Now what? I think I'll take some pictures. When in doubt, take some pictures. I concentrate on tuning into the schism between where I am and the dimension where I think the Ark is hidden. And this idea pops into my head. Did I put it there? Do I hold the key to reach it? I believe I do. Well, that's interesting. I think about the sacred purple flame of Saint-Germain and the seven rays represented by different saints. Gold and violet flames. Saint-Germain. Merlin, the tall, the sacred flame, me. There is a connection. I sense it is all connected. It does sound, it does, it is weird reading this out loud. Maybe that's why I wrote that screenplay about Merlin. Holy crap it's cold up here. And then a small sheet of flame shoots past my right leg. I spin round to see what joker has brought a flamethrower up these steps. There's no one there. I think I was taking a picture with the camera in my left hand just now. I wonder. I check on the viewfinder. Yes, there it is. A bolt of flame with a Y-shaped head. It's the same shape as the staff in my right hand. My eyes are watering from the freezing cold wind biting into my face. The flame is where my staff should have been in the picture. Did I just do some full-on wizard conjuring? This is like a movie, but it, it really just happened. I am now properly freaked out. I honestly feel I'm about to step right through a gateway between here and there. Am I about to be reunited with the Ark? Apart from the keening of the wind, there's nothing. I don't understand what just happened. Time to go. But I think I just got what I would call unequivocal evidence that there's something extraordinary about this place. My mum was right. It is a portal, and there is something happening in my life which is telling me to pay attention. 16th of March. I'm staying with my friends Fiona and Bruno. They have a lovely Doberman called Sable, who is getting very old now. I'm sorry to say when I see her, I know she's going to die. Very sad to see this once muscular, pretty animal so ravaged. I can sense Metatron around her. Technically, I suppose he is the Angel of Death, as he is the gatekeeper of the Stellar Gateway. I take some pictures, and it's possible to see Metatron's shadow progressively closing in around her, while two orbs of protection sit on Sable's back. I can sense the love and compassion surrounding this wonderful animal. Sable is scared and paces the kitchen, crying. It's a very sad scene and it makes me cry. She knows what's coming and the angels are comforting her and protecting her. I see Archangel Metatron's shadow drawing across her and it's in the photos. She dies two days later. Bless you, Sable. Beautiful puppy, twentieth of March, my friend Cherie has been my massage therapist for fifteen years. She is descended from North American Indians, and she ha- she has eyes which look into your soul. We had a conversation a while ago about photographing orbs in the spirit world. She says she started taking a lot more. She sure has. She is very connected to the spirit world and to our ancestors. Cherie once told me she can recall the times between incarnations as well as her previous lives. That's not something I have ever come across before. She says there are records of everything which have, which has ever happened in the Akashic Record. Every being which has lived, every molecule of our existence. She feels she was an Atlantean and may have come from Sirius, like me and Diana. A network of souls is being revealed to me, of people like me and Diana. A network of souls. Cherie has the same sensitivity as I do. There are a lot of us, and there is comfort in being with them. My sense of being a misfit is receding slightly. I've also begun to notice that people in general seem to be increasingly more receptive to talking about this sort of thing and are open to possibilities. The change is marked. We're not as cocky as we were. It's been knocked out of us. Not quite the masters and mistresses of the universe we once thought we were, are we? I'm getting the sense that we're being woken up by something outside ourselves. The arc of my journey has a lot in common with others. I benefit from my science background as I try to keep the amazing experiences I'm having in the realm of the scientific merged with the spiritual. I'm convinced science and higher intelligence, or the collective consciousness, are linked so much Must one, one must be superimposed on the other. For instance, the more I discover about quantum physics... The more of what we think as inexplicable paranormal activity can be explained, or the manifestation can be explained. The reason are the subject of endless scientific hypotheses, which is the nature of the quantum theory. Did you know, for instance, that the Casimir effect, named after the Russian scientists who discovered it, found that if something is cooled to as near as damn it absolute zero Kelvin, which is very cold indeed? minus 275 degrees C on Earth, the molecules it's made up from stop moving completely. Molecules jiggle around from something called Brownian motion, but not when they get really cold. And it's thought that the energy of the universe would be released as a result. Does that sound nuts? Well, banging two lumps of radioactive metal together to make your own sun sounds pretty outlandish too. It's called a nuclear weapon. And a scientist called Evgeny Podkletnov, Russian again, found if you supercooled a ceramic plate, then, roti- then rotated it at 18,000 RPM above a bed of magnets, it would float on the electromagnetic field. So you have a non metallic substance floating above magnets, which in theory isn't possible. I've seen the NASA footage and spoken to Podkletnov, well, he's in hiding now, well, well Norway actually. And both examples go against what we think we know about the way things work. And it's as true in the unseen spiritual world as much as it is in the tangible scientific one. 25th of March The padlock on my third eye, although figurative, is becoming annoying. So much information has been downloaded to me, and I need to know what it says. It feels like having a zip file in your brain which needs the right password to unpack it. Cherie comes to visit Diana Cooper with me. Having these two together honestly feels like a meeting of the Council of Elders in Atlanta. The conversation is not of this earth. It begins to feel as if there are a dozen of others who are with us. I have this picture in my head of a huge hall full of steeply banked tears. Tall creatures with smooth, oblong heads and almond-shaped eyes, which lack irises, fill the hall. They wear long brown robes. They're listening to our conversation as the sofas have been transported to the hall, and we sit before them as we speak. Then the area around Cherie and Diana starts to recede into a white light. All I can see is them. They're unlocking the padlock. A long stream of hissing, chattering, dancing information sings in my head. The lock is gone. I think I need a cup of tea. 26th of March I read Revelations again when I get home. On one level, it's a loss of fire and brimstone gobbledygook, which was written 2,000 years ago. On another, it could apply to us. Is the end of the human race written into the last book of the New Testament? There are a lot of references to the Antichrist, loss of hope, the beast rising out of the pit, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They're a particularly terrifying and modern vision. The one dressed in red? Pope, he wears red a lot, the Pale Rider. In my screenplay about Merlin, tragically and unjustly published so far, his nemesis is called the Pale Man and is a tall, bald albino. Sounds spookily familiar now I think about it. I consider the decade we are currently in. An 800 mile long mountain range, 150 feet high, appeared off the coast of Indonesia in a few few seconds on the floor of the ocean. The resulting shockwave swept the sea into a huge bulge which killed a quarter of a million people as it piled up the water on the shore. A scar, 150 miles long, appeared along the base of the Himalayas, running left to right across the Hindu Kush in Pakistan, killing at least 60,000, although no one's quite sure of the exact number. Central China is rocked with a powerful earthquake too. Thousands die, including entire schools of children caught in their classrooms. Haiti, at the time, is yet to come, as is Chile, as is New Zealand and Japan. And I've already witnessed Indonesia and Pakistan with my own eyes. How weird is that? I have yet to experience the horror in Haiti and the sight of the entire coastline of southern Chili rising out of the sea 10 feet. Chile is such a big event, it will affect the speed of the Earth's rotation. And this is all in the same decade. What's going on? My sense is it's leading to something. I'm being directed to these place, places to witness it and hold the scale of the destruction in my memory to articulate a warning. No one is going to want to hear this. They want to hear about abundance and good things instead, but maybe we have a chance, maybe we've chanced our luck once too often. No one likes bad news, which affects them. They don't mind watching about it in other lands far away, that's more like entertainment. Watching someone else suffer makes you feel a bit better about your own life, doesn't it? Oh well, I need to look in even deeper into my heart and ask for guidance to draw the correct conclusion. Maybe it'll be a positive thing which will lift the human race out of its misery and desolation. But you can't make an omelette without breaking some eggs first, can you? By the way, I met the scientist whose job it was to watch for quakes in the Pacific, but only off the United States. He saw the Indonesian 8.1 and knew it would be bad, as the centre was so close to the coast of Indonesia, and I quote, He didn't know who to call. They do now. 1st of April Jack, the little boy who had the orb near his mummy's tummy when he was in it, is getting bigger, as children seem to inevitably do. And in almost every picture anyone takes of him, in particular his mum, who I've known for years, he's accompanied by some of the biggest orbs you can squeeze into a picture. We feel these are his grandparents. don't know why we should think that, but we do. It just seems right. And that's how instinct works about these things. Things either feel right or they don't. Everyone can understand that, but if you're a sensitive, you just know. Even if no one wants to hear it, or it makes you sound bonkers, or it even alienates you from people, you're stuck with knowing the truth about things. Lots of people are more comfortable with tangible evidence or what scientists tell them or what men in suits tell them. Some really irrational people even believe what politicians tell them. But I'm learning slowly to trust my intuition, my sense, my knowing. Professionally, I've walked out of a meeting many times and said something like, oh, they'll betray us, or I don't like him or her, and my colleagues have scoffed scoffed at me and told me to shut up. But I'm hardly ever wrong. You can't hide who you are from people like us. And Jack has some adoring angels for protection around him. They float near him the entire time. He's even pictured reaching up and touching one. I wonder what happened to him as an adult. Modern children, the last few generations, are referred to as first indigo, then crystal children very new age and all that but there is some sense to this the maya people foresaw a speeding up in the 13 ages of man they refer to in the long count calendar which started 5125 years ago well, a bit more they believe we would start to evolve faster and i can see that happening right now the traditional education system doesn't seem to serve the needs of the children in it the disconnected the dreamers the ones with concentration problems put on Ritalin. We are sedating, or, or stimulating, a generation of children who are behaving in the way they do because they've leapt forward in their evolutionary development. Why would they not respond to the savage acceleration in the world's heartbeat? The laptops they balance on their knees contain more computing power than the entire NASA system, which put men on the moon. Their phones do. We need to examine what's going on in children's minds with new eyes. They're being born more psychic, more able to connect with the angel network, more receptive. They can hear the voices their parents have shut themselves away from. Just a quick trawl through the photographs of your young friends or your children's own pictures or their young contemporaries will throw up hundreds of pictures of orbs. But the question is, why is this happening? Why are children so much more receptive than they used to be? What are they being readied for? My sense is that something significant is coming, and the angel realm, or the elders who preside over life, are working hard to prepare us. Their greatest experiment and manifestation of that is in the universe. And that something could be our own destruction or spiritual release, or both, I'm just not sure. So back to Revelations, where this is discussed in biblical double-talk. It refers to the rapture where souls who are ascended spiritually disappear in an instant from the earth, when the end of days comes, leaving others to suffer the blight of the destruction of the world and everything in it. Now, I have an aversion to tub-thumping, fire and brimstone and extremists threatening all manner of nasty endings for, for sinners, so forget it. But there is a light bulb in my head and my heart is beating hard. I'm being told a universal truth with some certainty, but what is it? My sense is we are approaching a cyclical point of change and we need to prepare. Consider this as change. What if we just said no to repression, to fear, to hatred, killing, to war, to the aspects of the human race which bring us down? We must have a choice, surely. This is being used to control people in their billions by the rulers and the hidden rulers above them, and that's never been more true than today. You didn't think it was governments who hold the reins, do you? They're told what to do by their masters, and it's all about the money, all of the time. As my friend Canadian entrepreneur Kevin O'Leary from Discovery likes to say, and the need for for control Satan and his consorts crave. Are we about to take a massive leap into the light, away from the grip of Lucifer? Is that what this is about? Is this what they're trying to show me? I feel it might be. And maybe they pick me because I can hear them, and because I'm not the sort of person who goes through life as if I was presenting Listen, with Mother. I do call a spade a spade. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Haya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it.